Welcome to the Get Real Self-Defense Podcast. Here you get your daily dose of personal protection discussion to help you be more confident and prepared to protect yourself and your loved ones. And now, let's get real with self-defense. Hello and welcome to the Get Real Self-Defense Podcast, helping you train today so that you can protect tomorrow. My name is Adam Jolly, and first, I would just like to say thank you so much for being here on this first flagship episode of the Get Real Self-Defense Podcast. So again, thank you so much for listening. This podcast is geared for the lifelong student in mind, so it's meant for someone who's a constant learner and isn't afraid of challenges and self-growth. So whether you are an avid uh, beginner or a seasoned expert in personal protection, if you focus on being a perpetual student, you will always improve, and I guarantee that you will get something out of this podcast. All right, with that out of the way, let's get started. So today, what I'd like to share with you is the number one reason why defense training fails you. And yes, it is a super common reason. When I talk about self-defense training failing you, I mean a system that is advertised to teach you and others how to safely navigate a violent encounter. So this could be martial arts, this could be uh, military combatives, it doesn't matter what it is. Anybody that's saying you are going to learn how to protect and defend yourself in a violent situation, that is what I'm referring to. So for the sake of the conversation, though it encompasses everything, we'll just refer to everything as martial arts when we're talking about a self-defense system. Virtually every martial arts system promises that when you train in their system, you'll become a self-defense machine. You're going to be ready to take on any and every scenario, whether that be guns or knives, it doesn't matter what it is, you will be ready if you train with them. And they promise that you'll have fantastic kicks and punches that will deliver guaranteed results. I am embellishing a little bit and generalizing that promise that is made, but the core is true. Um, There are many self-defense choices all out there claiming to be the best choice, and not just for anyone, but specifically, they advertise that it is perfect for you. So what, in fact, is the best choice? And why uh, can what you learn in self-defense systems often fail? Well, before we get to the failure part, uh, I just want to put out uh, there that with self-defense systems, there are many different kinds of martial arts styles that have been around for thousands of years. There are other styles that are a little more uh, widely known currently uh, that have just happened in recent years. Uh, You know, anything from uh, karate to taekwondo to krav maga to boxing to jujitsu, It doesn't really matter what it is. Every single one of these styles are a style for a reason because it can be replicated and people have used it and used it fairly well. So first, let's go over what self-defense actually is. So according to Merriam-Webster, it says this about self-defense. One, it can be a plea of justification for the use of force or for homicide. Two, the act of defending oneself, one's property, or a close relative. And three, the use of force to defend oneself. So overall, the promise made by self-defense experts in their respective martial arts and combative fields is this. If you train with me in my system, you'll learn how to defend yourself, your property, your loved ones. And by using the specific force techniques and tools that we provide, if you spend the money, take the time to train and follow our program, you will actually be able to defend yourself. Now, that's a really big promise. You're talking about someone uh, learning to protect themselves, their loved ones, their property with what is being taught to them. So the problem is not, again, whether the martial arts system can work. A punch is a punch. A kick is a kick. Um, There's a lot of illustrious backgrounds, whether that be Muay Thai, again, Jiu-Jitsu, boxing. There's many different styles that you can use, but again, it is the mindset of how you are using them. Are you using it for sport or are you using it to actually uh, fight off people who are trying to actually do you harm? 
So for the sake of this conversation, let's pretend that all instructors, students, styles of fighting, they're all equal. It doesn't matter what you pick. Now, that is not actually true. Uh, not all instructors and students and styles are created equal, in my opinion. But let's just pretend for the sake of this that all those factors are out the window. And let's just look at the one reason why, regardless of these other factors, that your self-defense training could actually fail you or not based off of whether or not you do this number one thing. So the number one reason that self-defense training fails people is this, lack of application training. So let me say it again. The number one way self-defense training fails people is lack of application training. So if you don't know what that is, if you're not really sure, application training is the secret sauce of self-defense. It is what makes the self-defense system effective. The more applicable something is, the more effective it is. That's duh, right? That's an obvious. And this applies to all people, all styles of self-defense, all firearms training. It doesn't matter what it is. Application training is the main difference between a mediocre and a great personal protector. So imagine you want to learn to be a swimmer. Okay. Most of us have taken swimming lessons in our life. Um, but with this one, you're not just trying to learn, you know, get in the water a little bit. You want to be a strong swimmer. You want to be an excellent swimmer. You want to be a swimmer that's so confident and competent that it doesn't matter where you are at in the water, you would have a hard time drowning due to what you are taught. And you can get from point A to point B quickly and efficiently. So you go and you pay for swimming lessons. The instructor that you selected is the best instructor in the game. They know all about the different strokes, the theory. They know they know are very eloquent with how they speak. They have lots of experience. And you take three years of lessons. You go every day and you learn the breaststroke, the freestyle stroke. You learn breathing count techniques. And in that time, you learn all those things and more. But, and this is a big but, in those three years... You don't ever get the opportunity to get in the water and apply what you've learned. Not even once. So all that time you're watching videos, you're, you're learning through theory, you're seeing all these other people doing swimming, but you yourself never get in the water. How good at swimming do you honestly think you'd be? So chances are, I don't know about you, but if that happened to me, I'd absolutely suck at swimming. Um, three years of training, thousands of dollars, and not once do I get to apply what I've learned or have been taught. That is the importance of application training. When you practice swimming, you apply it. You get in the pool. You do your different strokes. You're spluttering. You're having a hard time applying it, but you, you practice anyways. You're in that environment that you are trying to get good at. Basketball, football, it doesn't matter what it is you know, dancing, you have to, you can't just watch and practice things kind of, you actually have to apply it to what you are trying to learn. Now, a reason that you, that you could argue that people are not really doing proper application training is if we were actually doing a real application of what we're learning in martial arts or self-defense, you would end up having to actually have a real fight on your hands where your life is on the line. Because that's a true representation, right? I mean, the whole reason of self-defense is that someone is actively trying to hurt you or kill you, and you are doing everything in your power to fight that person off so that you can survive. That is an obvious uh, statement. However, um, we can't safely apply that, right? We can't actually do that. So the answer isn't, hey, we shouldn't practice and get as close as we can because it's too dangerous, but it should be, hey, we still need to get in the water and actually practice the swimming techniques as best we can. So yes, accidents can happen. Injuries can happen. 
Um, back in the day, uh, you know, pre-Karate Kid uh, era, for those of you that remember that movie um, with Ralph Macchio, I know there's the new show out that a lot of kids probably understand now. But back in the day when martial arts schools were first happening uh, in the United States, that kind of stuff, you know, injuries were, were common, according to what I was taught by all the old timers. Injuries happened all the time, but people were tough. People actually could apply what they were doing because they were actually practicing, and they were practicing pretty hard. Um, when the Karate Kid came out, it created this whole boom with martial arts, interest in schools, and people realized that uh, that were instructors and school owners. They realized that they, in order to retain students, they had to kind of dial back the the uh, you know the injuries. They had to create a little more injury prevention. Uh, they had to you know some people thought it was too rough and wouldn't stick around very long in the school. The ones that actually stuck around were super dedicated, became fantastic martial artists that you uh, would see in a lot of movies later in the eighties, nineties, and two thousands even. Um, but the bottom line is that they had to change their tactics in order to retain their students uh, because the general populace. Uh, wasn't really ready for that amount of, um, of roughness, so to speak. Uh, that actually created a problem because now there's less application over time. So maybe at that time they knew how to apply it well, but the next student, the next student, the next student going down the line that became an instructor creates a, an environment where now most schools, and trust me on this uh, because I've been to several schools, I taught at several schools, most schools teach like point sparring which for those of you who don't know, it's basically karate tag. You tag someone on the head once, everything stops, you reset and you do it again. First one, however many points wins or when the timer runs out. And so that, you know, and it's super light. You can't do excessive contact. You can actually get in trouble for it. Um, so that that isn't actually a problem because you're not actually really applying anything. You're just quickly tagging a person. It doesn't matter how you tag them as long as you tag them. You know, even with boxing, MMA, jiu-jitsu and wrestling, um, they actually apply what they train, which is why a lot of people think that MMA is so good and is better than, you know, for instance, traditional martial arts, because you actually are seeing the guys get choked out. You're actually seeing the guys get knocked out. And I'm a huge fan of MMA. And I think there's a lot of relevance in MMA. I practice MMA, uh, as a whole, whether that be boxing, wrestling, whatever it is. The one thing to think about though, is even though it is all extremely effective, you see what they're applying. They actually apply what they practice and it can be used in self-defense in part, just one admonishment, uh, I say it in part because it is a sport. It is a sport first. So it's made in an environment that's made to be fair and equal. Um, but more on that in another episode. The bottom line is even with that, even though there's application for that, uh, some of the tools are restricted because a lot of the tools that are not used in mixed martial arts or in boxing and things like that is because it's super high level of injury. Once again, we're talking about injury. And when it comes to violent encounters, you need to real remember and realize that violence and sport are not the same. So violence isn't safe. It isn't fair. It doesn't have a referee um, that can stop and reset situations. People bring weapons uh, and attack you when you aren't looking, you aren't aware, you aren't ready. And you can even be attacked by several people at once. So to ensure that your training is effective, you need to train with the mindset of preparing for violence and not sport if you're talking about getting the maximum value out of what you're learning for self-defense. Um, again, I'm not saying don't practice boxing. I love boxing. There's a lot of merit, a lot of good things you can learn from boxing, a lot of good principles, uh, or MMA or jujitsu. All those things are really good to train. It's just remember that the disclaimer is it's a sport first, but you have to personally make the mindset shift of how you are going to apply it for self-defense. When you do jujitsu and you have a firearm on your belt, you know, let's say appendix carry, 
you know, you need to integrate that into your training because in real life, if you're walking around concealed carry a firearm and all of a sudden you're, you know, taking a guy down and wrestling with him, your gun is right there. How are you going to approach that? That is where the mindset and application training shift needs to happen. So for that, um, the best way that I've found personally to apply application training without actually getting into a full blown self-defense fight with someone who's trying to kick my butt and hurt me, uh, there are three building blocks that in my opinion, every self-defense training system needs to have and integrate for their students or for themselves. Um, when it comes to applying, uh, what they're learning, you know, the application techniques, uh, that need to be in there. So these building blocks allow the learner, in my opinion, to safely learn all parts needed for self-defense without really ever having to test what they learn by getting into a full and dangerous fight. So the three building blocks are this number one, this is an obvious one. And most people do it practice in the air. Okay. So by practicing in the air, also known as shadow boxing, um, it's an age old technique that allows you to work on the movements and do them perfectly and unrestricted at full speed and power. Um, the pros are that it allows you to practice mental rehearsal, visualization, scenario based training. Again, we'll get into those on another episode. Um, but it allows you to actually visualize what you're do- doing and actually see yourself doing the punch, doing the movement, imagining that person throwing an attack at you, whether that be a right haymaker or a, a, a kick of some sort or stabbing at you with a knife. You'll be able to practice those things and move around and, and unrestricted and practice those movements perfectly and get the, the down over and over again. Because if we can practice perfectly, then in an imperfect situation, we'll be able to do that a little bit better than what we would have done had we not practiced it perfectly in the first place. So the cons though, are the fact that you aren't really hitting anything. There's nothing that's resisting you on the other side. Nothing's hitting you back. So martial arts schools teach uh, practicing the air all the time because it's a really easy and safe and it's a methodical way to start people off. Um, It is a staple. And again, it's only one of the three parts. However, a lot of martial arts schools and self-defense practitioners practice things in the air or practice things with uh, where you do something on a person who is allowing you to do it, they'll throw a punch or a kick and they'll stop and just wait for you to finish what you're doing. Um, that is also part of practicing in the air. You're, you, that you can see the person you're trying to do a chop to the neck and then you do up, you know, an up eye gouge with your opposite hand as you're throwing another strike into the groin. All those things, they're not moving the entire time. Again, that's part of practicing in the air. The next one is practicing on a dummy. So when I mean dummy, I mean like a bob or some sort of silhouette of a, of a person that, or a heavy bag that allows you to practice your kicks, your punches at full power and full speed. So practicing on a dummy or heavy bag is essential to practicing good body mechanics. Um, it helps you develop power, understand your control, and believe it or not, you actually develop some stamina in your musculature. Um, striking something over and over again gets tiresome on your mind and your body, and so it needs to be conditioned for the rigors uh, that is required. So a lot of the pros are already mentioned, um, with that, you know, the, the stamina building, the full power practice, all those things mentioned the cons, however, are that it doesn't allow for perfect unrestricted movement. Um, since a heavy bagger or a dummy is something that could be indirectly resisted through punching or kicking by just existing there. In other words, I throw the punch and there's actually something stopping my punch. So I got to punch harder in order to really create some impact. Um, you still need someone or something that can actually hit you back. So that's the second building block. A lot of martial arts schools and self-defense practitioners practice those two things all the time. They practice in the air all the time, and then they'll practice on a heavy bag or a dummy of some sort to go through their movements. Both of those are absolutely needed. So again, I'm going to say it again. They're already being taught that way, but it's absolutely needed. The third part, and this is a key, 
is partner sparring. And when I mean partner sparring, I don't mean sport fighting. I don't mean point sparring. Okay. There's some merits of point sparring, like mastering distance and timing that you can learn in point sparring very, very well. Um, that can be applied to self-defense, but it is not self-defense application practice. And that is the key. Everything here is in the context of self-defense application practice. So having a living, breathing partner that will actually and actively not let you just get free kicks and punches like you would in the air and isn't going to stand there like a heavy bag will um, to take the punches from you and the punishment. So someone that will actually resist you moving around, uh, blocking your kicks and punches and uh, when they when you try to grab them is able to resist your grab or counter grab themselves again that kind of stuff is applied in like mma and jujitsu all the time so when you're doing those things you like whether it be in your respective stand-up striking martial art or what have you you need to also practice those kind of scenarios in mind again applying those things and better yet applying it with a living breathing person that is going to resist you and this will help you make uh, your decisions more deliberately and be adaptable. Um, the pros are that uh, with sparring someone, you actually get to apply what you're learning with someone who won't give it to you for free, but isn't also trying to kill you. So this is really important. Having someone that'll actually, that actually cares about your personal development and wants to see you succeed is going to allow you to make mistakes and not incessantly punish you for it to where you could obtain serious injury or death from it. If you're in a real situation, you had to apply those things that you're learning on the outside and you make a mistake, you slip and fall, you, you throw a punch incorrectly or whatever it is, that person will punish you for it and take advantage of you in every way, shape or form, because they're not there for your well-being. They're there to try to hurt you or kill you. And so by having some sort of living, breathing person, who's a training partner with you, someone who has similar goals in mind and wants to see you succeed and wants them to succeed, you guys are going to be able to work together to actually resist against each other in a safe environment to where you got, you will be able to, if things get a little hairy or a mistake is made, you guys can go over it and actually fix it. So this is extremely undervalued in most self-defense uh, trainings. A lot of people will do number one, where they're practicing the error on you know some sort of uh, stationary person that just throws a free punch or kick and doesn't move after that. And number two, we'll practice on a dummy or heavy bag, but again, isn't really practicing on a living, breathing person. And a lot of the the, play, the martial arts styles that I've mentioned before that do those things already that actually apply having a living, breathing person on the other side, whether that be boxing or jiu-jitsu, they are sport-minded first. So it's really hard to practice like knife scenarios. So what I'm talking is like, hey, the attacker has a knife. How are you going to defend it? If the person has a firearm, how you know, quote unquote, like something that represents a firearm, whether that be a toy Nerf gun or whatever it is, how are you going to defend that scenario? Those are things to consider too that aren't being uh, practiced in something like boxing or something like jujitsu very well. Um, again, I'm saying this generally. There are different instructors who will do things a little bit differently because they have those things in mind. But on a general level, this is what you need to come into as a learner and as a student. So you want to make sure that you do this and you practice this with a partner in a semi-safe environment. To be clear on what I mean by partner training, let's go over a couple things that are designed for sparring safety. Um, it requires a couple things to be effective. So first, you and your partner need to have a predetermined agreement on speed and power during the sparring session. So for instance, 50% speed, 0% power, or 100% speed, 50% power. So you move fast, but you're not really hitting hard. Um, that takes practice, that takes control, that takes deliberation. Um, and the next step is, and honestly the most important step, is zero ego in your training. 
I can't tell you how many times I've seen injuries happen unnecessarily because a guy is going full speed and power in the moment because he is in a bad spot and doesn't want to be in that bad spot, doesn't like that they're in a bad spot. So then they throw something extra hard or extra fast to get out of it. And that causes unnecessary injury. So, um, for instance, I, uh, as a true story, I, there was a gentleman who was practicing. We had some of the local, um, law enforcement, uh, that would come in, uh, and train on the mats. Uh, it was just a free thing that we did because, uh, one of the few ways that we supported law enforcement in the area, they would come into the gym for free and they'd just be able to work out. Um, and a lot of times they'd spar with each other and there were some people who were recruits or people from other, um, semi-law enforcement or security backgrounds who would try to train with the law enforcement guys because they eventually wanted a job and, uh, wanted to train and, and whatnot. So these guys would come in. Well, one of these guys, we'll just call him G had a hard time regulating his control, um, because he would get so amped up on wanting to win wanting to be the best. It was training. It was supposed to be a safe environment. These guys were resisting each other, practicing defensive tactics. And at one point his back gets taken while he's standing up. The guy's behind him has a rear body lock and out of nowhere, he just throws an elbow straight back into his partner's face and actually breaks the guy's nose. You could actually hear it crack throughout the entire gym. And, uh, at first the guy was about to suplex him, um, and, and really just to put the hurt on him cause he just got his face cracked. But uh, he decided not to and stepped away and got his, you know, his nose checked out and whatnot. And it was, in fact, broken. Um, so, but again, that could have been avoided had G just not tried to win in the first place. It's not about winning. It's about training. It's about practicing. It's about moving smoothly, methodically. So when you are in there with your partner, not only you yourself need to be sure that you are going in with no ego and not trying to win, but your partner, you need to make sure that your partner is a good partner and does the same thing. Because you are actually hitting each other and making some contact. Both of you need to be in constant control at all times as a result. And if you don't do these things, if you don't try to have uh, ego, or if you try to have ego represented inside what you're doing with your training, then very quickly people will not want to train with you. I promise you that. If you haven't experienced this already or if you haven't seen this firsthand with someone else that's been trained in your dojo or wherever you're trying to learn, you know for a fact, those of you that have seen it, if someone brings ego in and is trying to win and is not controlling their temper, not kind of not controlling their uh, training mindset, that could very easily be that person that gets alienated and no one wants to partner with that individual. So don't be that guy. Don't be that gal. Be sure that you go in with zero ego with your training. So if you focus on these training blocks, uh, you will cover 90% um, roughly of what you need by because you're actually getting as close to a fight as you can without actually ever getting into that real fight. You don't have to do it all um, at once. You can do them in separate sections. Just make sure that you're practicing those three blocks at different points, applying the same move. So if you're trying to practice a jab, practice it in the air. And if you're practicing it on a jab with a dummy, practice it on a dummy. And then afterwards, practice that jab while you are playing around and sparring with your partner. That is how you, you bring up the different aspects. You get to practice it perfectly in the air, practice it for full power on the dummy, and then you get to practice it with some speed and control on a living, breathing, resisting person. You get all those aspects rolled into one, and that is how you are going to be the most effective with your training. So regardless of what martial art you come from or what you choose to learn in the future, be sure that whatever you are training, if it is for self-defense, if that's what you're trying to learn, if that's what's being taught, you need to take the time to actually apply what you are being taught in order to test if it works, to also refine what you've learned. And that way you confidently and competently know that what you have practiced, you can actually apply out in the street and you're not going to be overwhelmed. So 
again, practice in the air, practice on a dummy or some sort of, even if it's just a, a, a laundry bag full of clothes that's hanging up, you can practice on something that you can strike at full power and then afterwards have a competent partner that you can work with and go back and forth in a safe, no ego environment and be able to have some speed, power, and control with what you're doing so that you can make mistakes and refine yourself together. So if you do these things, you'll be that much better prepared. Um, but if you choose not to integrate application training to your personal protection learning, you will risk a high chance of failure when it actually comes down to needing to use the things that you supposedly learned. And that failure could prove fatal for you or for your loved ones. So that's it for today's episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of the Get Real Self-Defense podcast. If you can please do me a favor, um, please give this uh, podcast a five-star review. And if you have any helpful thoughts on content you would like to see for this podcast in the future, please uh, uh, do so. I would love to make sure that I improve the listening experience for you guys. So any suggestions, uh, content, any ways that can make the production value better, um, anybody that you think would be awesome for our guests in the future, please do so. Please uh, reach out through the review. Um, you can also message me at adam at smartsafedefense.com and put in your input that way as well. So again, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.